Hello, and welcome to Final Show Films. I'm the executive producer here, John Bates, uh, and I've got a few pre-show notes for you. First of all, I'd like to thank our $25 tier supporters, Antitonic, Cat Waterflame, Samantha Bates, and Maureen Monty, without whom we wouldn't be able to do much, uh, especially not all the content that we put forward now. I also want to thank all the people that have joined on with us since the, I would say, successful uh, experiment that was Midsummer Night's Dream. If you're interested in that, go check out our YouTube channel, where youtube.com slash Sinstaku, where we performed the world's first, as far as we're aware, live stream production of a community theater uh, performance of A Midsummer Night's Dream. That sounds like a lot of qualifiers. It's more just because that's the way I talk. Please go enjoy them, give us feedback, let us know if you'd like to see more of that in the future. If you'd like to support us financially, you can do so on our Patreon page at patreon.com fsfilms. You can also follow us on Twitter at Final Show Films or follow me personally at John A. Bates for all future updates and live notifications for our live stream. In the meantime, sit back, relax, enjoy. Hello, and welcome back to Critical Thinking, episode 39, where we're going to be talking about Critical Role, episode 38, Echoes of the Past. I'm John, at Johnny Bates on Twitter, and joining me today is Jack. Hey everybody, I'm Jack, at AltF4Gamers on Twitter. Who apparently almost forgot his Twitter handle, and Jeremy. Hello, I'm Jeremy, and mine's easy to remember, because it's jthomas411mania on Twitter. Don't know in what world that's easier to remember. <laughs> Because it's my it's name and my name. workplace. <laughs> it's also <laughs> if I forget longer. either of those things, it's time it, it, it's time to check and see if I hit my head very hard recently. And the episode we're talking about today has is starring Laura Bailey as Vexalia, Talison Jaffe as Percy, Ashley Johnson as Pike, Liam O'Brien as Vaxel Don, Marisha Ray as Keyleth, Sam Regal as Scanlan, Travis Willingham as Grog, and Matthew Mercer as the Dungeon Master. Last time on Critical Role, they'd fought a dude. They definitely fought a dude. They, they absolutely did. This time, uh, so yeah, they 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 found and fought Riskaldexio. They found. And I mean, I feel like it was less. I was gonna say it was less of a fight than it was just a just a. <laughs> Just a beat down. Just a straight up beat down. Just a fucking straight curb up, like, stomp. Curb stomp was exactly the phrase I was thinking of. Yeah. So, uh, they they found and dealt with Riskled. Oh look, it's a dude. Guess what we have? What? Six dudes. Yeah, that's gonna happen. Yeah. Um they found and dealt with Briscoe Axio and uh upon dealing with him, took him back up the street up into the streets of Amon. Ah, excuse me, burping. Um, back up in the streets of Amon and to the c- Citadel? What kind of structure does the Emperor of Amon live in? A castle. Is it a castle? It is definitely a castle. The castle of Emperor Uriel. I'm good at this. <laughs> uh, good question. What's the difference between a palace and a castle? Hmm. Uh, uh, walls. Uh, actually, yeah, a, ca- a castle has exterior walls. Um, has a, sort of an exterior wall around it, um, and is typically built more sturdily. Whereas a palace doesn't tend to have an exterior wall and is built more as a more as a aesthetic. sort of a design with aesthetics in mind as opposed to function. 
palace is a residence, castle is a fortification. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Okay. Um, <clears throat> it's the difference between a mansion and a military base. <laughs> they might have they, they might have the, the same between a mansion and a military base. Uh she is, yes. Um they <laughs> <laughs> That took a turn. They might have they might have some you know they might have a similar number of rooms depending on the mansion. Uh, trust me, I've cleaned some, mm-hmm. uh, but they serve vastly different functions. Anyways, uh, so yeah, um, they bring Riskledaxio back to Uriel, who and, and proceed to interrogate him by threatening to put the holy light in him. And gag him on a divine cock. That's uh That's a thing that happened. That's certainly an image. That, that um Um I'm they're creative, at least. It worked too. I mean So here's here's a question. In storytelling, when you need to get information from an uncooperative subject, why do so many people default to torture? Uh, In a story? In a story. Because it is a shortcut for for the level of... um, It's a characterization point and, and an easy characterization point of how dark is this character willing to get? Despite the fact that torture rarely, if ever, actually gets you what you need slash want. Yes, because because it's narrative fiction. It doesn't have to. It doesn't have to worry about those messy Abu Ghraib kind of thing. Also, because uh, it's narrative uh. fiction, and you're following the heroes, air quotes, uh, you're finding them at that. You're finding them at that time where it does work, rather than the most of the times where it doesn't. Yeah, um, it's it's one of my least favorite. Like, I'm a big fan, a huge fan of stories that 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 explore sort of that that balance of 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 good and evil and uh just look at any of the characters i've 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 played on our streams and that's up um mm-hmm. that is one those of sort of like ethical dilemma kind of yeah. you know right mm-hmm. yeah like, like characters who are you know they're they're they have definite either they the they want to be or they are inclined to be or are generally positive positively oriented people but they have something whether it's doubt or whether it's revenge or or something that really pulls them toward that line it's why things like like demon is one of my favorite role-playing games and uh you know i i really enjoy film noir is that's a story that really appeals to me because I think that's very essential in exploration of who we are as people. So um, what you're saying is Koroshana is going to be a lot of fun. It is. It's going to be so much fun. Um, <laughs> also, but, but yeah. I just want I just want to add in that it it's that's not it's not always the default. 
I find that if you have to look at what genre of story you're looking at and what genre of story you're analyzing to find out what tends to be the thing, because it, it changes. The default way of getting information of somebody changes based on what genre of storytelling you're in. In action adventure fantasy things, yes, quite often you beat the information out of the out of a kid out of a captured foe. But if we're talking if we're talking about more espionage spy stories, far more often in those you the the protagonists find a clever way to extract information uh, either either at the behest of the uh, uh, like like willingly from their target or without them realizing that they're extracting information the fem like the the femme fatale acquiring your secrets because women because you as a villain don't uh, don't respect women enough to think that they could possibly have anything against you is another fairly common trope just not of this particular genre you get into those like paperback romance novels though and it's all torture again <laughs> <laughs> but yeah but it, it it does depend on it does depend on the genre that you're talking about the genre of narrative and in this particular case we are slightly hamstrung by mechanics um in D&D I find I feel at least this is this is my take on it the reason why torture interrogation kind of thing happens so often in D&D is because you have an intimidation role you have a mechanical thing on your character sheet that says if I if I am scary enough and I roll this and he doesn't resist it well enough then he will tell me what I want. And so that's kind of a mechanical incentive right there because if you have a good intimidation score or you're just really good at that particular thing you don't have to worry about oh maybe he's lying to me because the mechanics say he's not lying to me. And that's not no, that's that's not what I would I'm, say that, that. And th yeah. that's not 100% the case, depending on your GM, but like when you look at it from a, on, on a fairly average perspective, that is something that occurs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Um, now, if we were playing a different game, if we were playing a World of Darkness game, that probably wouldn't be the first tactic. In fact, quite often in World of Darkness games, I find people don't, that, that, I've, that, I've, that I've listened to and played in, no one ever trusts the information you got of somebody, regardless of how you got it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you're not wrong. <laughs> because Sorry. you shouldn't. And, and as, because because as, you shouldn't. As, and... the, as the constant World of Darkness storyteller, I just feel like I've been told I've been doing my job right. Well, because because, yes. because you shouldn't, and because there is no there is nothing on your character sheet that says mechanically, if I roll this, I'm going to know if he's lying or not. Or mechanically, if I do this, he's going to give me accurate information. You don't have mm -hmm. it. You, while there is an intimidate ability, it doesn't work. It's not a binary ability like it is in D&D. Mm-hmm. It's not a pass fail quite yeah. quite so strongly. Yep. Yeah. Mm. And and the the counter to it also is not a pass fail. It's not a binary choice. It's either there are right. so many shades of gray of success and failure in World of Darkness that that tends to be why in World How many of shades of gray would you say there are? At least fifty. Um Okay. <laughs> fuck <laughs> you. <laughs> like What? We were talking about torture. <laughs> No, this just that just takes me to a very bad place involving uh, uh, a couple people that you that I used used to storytell. People that some people that somebody that you used to know. 
Anyway. <laughs> All I'm going to say is that darkness in the, the, the word darkness and world of darkness does not always have to be uh, uh, involuntary BDSM. And I will leave it there. I would say that's an accurate statement. Yeah. Mm. No. Some people fail to understand that in the mid aughts. Gotcha. And actually, late eight, late nineties to mid aughts. I'm about to say. I mean, I'm sure they continue to fail to understand that, but <laughs> we just don't associate with them anymore, apparently. No. Uh, but yeah, like so. Uh, that is, but that is that is an interesting question, though. Why in action adventure narratives do we come across that? If I I can just beat the information out of him, and I, I setting aside that in D and D you have a mechanic that says you can beat the information out of him, why is that so common in that genre? And for that, because, I don't know. Oh no, it's simple. It's easy. It is the extreme version. It's one that everybody recognizes. And it allows you to put uh, uh, edgy content in. It's particularly when yeah, it's, it's, it's a visual, it's a very it's a visual it's, it's, narrative. It's, it's, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's heightened. It's tension. It's it's action adjacent or horror. It so lets Frank Miller why. dip into the reds again. Yeah, it's instead a, of just it, the black and white. It's simple. It's it's the same reason that that anything any trope happens because the writer is not any trope any badly done trope happens and it's because any cliche happens yeah 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 because i do think of i do think of it's it's, you say frank miller because i do think of um like comic books batman is the classic example of this where like he he is he practices interrogation and torture constantly throughout his throughout his campaign of justice Uh, that that's the kind of what he's built himself on, and no one ever really stops to question that. I guess. No, I feel- yeah, yeah, because it's it's intended to be criminal specific terrorism, technically. Like, yeah. There's there are some very interesting that'll that'll be that'll well that'll be the extra credit question for this for this uh this episode. Is Batman by definition a terrorist? Yes, absolutely. Okay, cool. Never mind. I guess it's <laughs> not that no, hard of a question. He is, he is explicitly <laughs> said as much many times. He, he, I am fear. I am the night. Like, there's, you don't get much more a blatant self-identifying as terrorist right there. <laughs> He's a, yeah. He, he, he is a, he is a, a, a terrorist for the quote-unquote good guys. You know, like uh, his 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 mission statement is to become the thing criminals fear, so they'll stop. Cool motivation. Still terrorism. It doesn't work. It also doesn't work. Much like torture and interrogation in real life. (laughs) I mean, maybe if he would actually kill one of his fucking, you know. (laughs) Oh no. If we keep doing this, Batman will pop our arm out of socket. And then a doctor will put it back in. Because we get free healthcare in this city. (laughs) But it's much worse than that. Like... If it was just that, it would be at least a less, a more straightforward black and white of, yes, you, you beat up the bad guys and you make them scared, but it doesn't really stop it. And that would be the primary moral, moral debate. He fucks people up 
so hard. <laughs> like, and depending on the writer, obviously. Um, Frank Miller's a lot. For, for, uh, you know what? I'm going to take Frank Miller and put Frank Miller out of the equation. Because <laughs> we're, putting, we're putting him in his little own Batman sandbox over here, like, like, away from all the normal people. <laughs> Frank Miller created the Batman who painted a room yellow just to be a dick to Green Lantern. <laughs> <laughs> Fucked Black Canary just cause, and then got pissy about her. Uh, got pissy about her making a joke about the Batmobile, like. And turned Wonder Woman into a character who the first time you ever saw her in, in his book called call, called a random guy passing on the street a sperm bank. Um, so, yeah, that's Frank Miller for you. But outside... Frank like, Miller has I, a special perspective. <laughs> yes. I mean, the greatest... The greatest uh, um, like, we don't have enough side points. I'm going off on a side point on a side point of a side point here. But... Like, it, even if you take him out of the equation, like, th there's a wide variance in writers over the last 75 years. But but let, let's even make it the last 30, 40 years since since the character was basically modernized, who, who treat Batman very differently. Some do it very well. Some are... <clears throat> the new 52 early stage. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So D&D. &D. Any, any, yep. Anything else to add before we continue on? <laughs> yeah, the greatest, the greatest, the greatest webcomic I've ever seen, single strip I've ever seen, is some guy who's captured Frank Miller, put him in, in a room and has a gun and says, here's your, uh, I will kill you unless you can write a, write a story that with, that doesn't, uh, that doesn't refer to women as whores. And it's him that's sitting there for two panels and he starts to try and type, oh, oh. Oh. <laughs> it's fucking amazing <laughs> because that's frank miller for you that is that is that is very much mr miller so God. the uh risk daxio is apparently a devotee devotee of vecna uh, who is a uh, god of undeath, or a, 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 a power of undeath, I should say, um, and uh, refers to himself as, as, as being the blood of Vecna, uh, which confuses the party because they're trying, they, they spend a good two minutes trying to figure out if he's talking literally or figuratively. Um, never, never throw euphemisms at adventurers. It scares and confuses them. Um... <laughs> Ah, a metaphor. Run. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how many people react that way to a beholder? That's a that's a floating metaphor. Anyways, so the they 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 determined that probably the best they're not really going to get much out of this guy, so they're just going to kill him. Uh, Grog's going to kill him somehow in some manner or way. Uh, but before they kill him, they're going to sanctify his body in some manner so that uh, when he dies, he doesn't go to wherever he thinks he go. he's going to go. 
<laughs> because these yep. are, these are the good guys. Um, so <laughs> we're going to f- oh, this is this is some borderline creepy conversion therapy metaphors. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to say that the, that that my my first thought wasn't. Um, uh, uh, the Mormon Church baptizing dead people, but it may have been in the first five. Uh, uh-huh. uh, hence, where the uh, yeah. for, the aforementioned you know choking him with a divine dick uh, uh, comes in, whereas Pike sort of like Vax grabs his nose and pulls it up so that his mouth hangs open, and then Pike shoves her holy symbol in his mouth, and he starts choking on her holy symbol. Uh, as she casts Greater Restoration down his throat, which is just a lovely visual. <laughs> it makes, makes me wonder what the, what the, you know, sort of liturgical sequence is when you become a devotee of Saren Ray. What we're saying is, if Critical Role ever becomes a television, like like a like a, a live action straight adapt adapted television series, we don't think this scene is making it into the broadcast network cut. Well, no, it will, but it'll be more. No. It, 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 it will, but it'll be more of a comedy sequence. Um, where no, that shit would not fly as a comedy. Well, no, sequence. no. See what 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 they'll do is it'll be more of a comedy sequence where they they all circle around and like sort of. Uh, get, like sort of start to close in on it, and then the camera p- cuts away and focuses on Uriel and you just hear the sounds of wackiness ensuing in the background and with Uriel slowly face palming harder and harder as he is actively <laughs> doing in this scene that's how this scene would play out yeah um, he, the, I mean Daxios uh, begins choking on his tongue, and Grog, after they remove the after they remove the holy holy symbol from his mouth, Grog reaches in and pulls his tongue back out. Um, and then after all of that, he gives them some information about Vecna. <laughs> uh, apparently, apparently the torture type was uh, was Looney Tunes torture, at which point. That was enough. Um, yep. So after after all of that, they learn a little bit more about Vecna. They learn that Vecna was a a mortal who ascended to God, who attempted to ascend to Godhood, and didn't quite succeed. Uh, previously on a Winter's Crest, and that potentially that might have something to do with future endeavors. And then they kill him. As Uriel, yep. as Uriel says, please get it over with. You've spent enough of my time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Technically, the execution is, I believe, handed down by the rightful government officials. So that's something. At yes. Least. No, they, 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 were, they were told to kill him by Uriel. They just spent an extra 30 minutes interrogating him before <laughs> killing him. They just took an ungodly long time at it. Yeah. Right. They're not very efficient. First we, first we, need, to, first we need to darken our soul. Yeah. I thought Tiberius had left already. I mean... The mm, I'm not falling for that. 
<laughs> let's not go down that road again. Murdering old ladies. Is gone. Let him stay gone. Murdering old ladies. Anyways. So after that, they go on a pub crawl. Because that's what you do after you torture and kill a man. Pub crawl, right? Yeah. What I do every time I torture and kill a man. Yeah, that's why you're at the bar so often. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's funny because it's true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so. Uh... <laughs> Note so... for the FBI who are listening to this, that is not actually true. I am making a joke. Please do not show up at my front door. <laughs> we just hear in the background. Front door. We just we just hear knocking in the background. <laughs> dum, 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 dum. Jeremy would like to have a couple words with you. <laughs> because in this fictional setting, the FBI call you by your first name. <laughs> right. <laughs> Even in this fictional set, the setting, doesn't the FBI have a different investigation they're supposed to be working on now? <laughs> what are you oh, talking? sure. Let's get into that, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? What investigation? <laughs> I mean... We are covering a sto- we are covering a story arc discussing at at least some level government corruption and you know secret foreign masters and I'm just saying you're right I hadn't thought about all of that I'm going to continue not thinking about that as we move on <laughs> This is fantasy, not reality. This is fantasy, not reality. What? what Uriel has a toupee? Damn it! (laughs) What I'm saying is, what Amon really needs is a special prosecutor right now. (laughs) Oh, anyways. So they eventually find their way to a tavern where they begin drinking. And we we are introduced for the first time to Drunkleth. Drunk Keyleth. Yep. Who is my favorite form of Keyleth? Is Drunkleth. Yes. I mean, drunk, drunk, drunk Vox Machina is always best Vox Machina. It's true. Pretty much. Even, even Tiberius was funny. Drunk. Yeah? Yes, he was, actually. Yep. Drunk, drunk Machina, best Machina. Yeah. Mostly because Mm -hmm. the, the, these people who are actors have been drunk enough and have seen enough drunk people in their own lives to know exactly what kind of drunks their characters are. And they're all different drunks, which I appreciate for the variety. I mean, mm-hmm. they're they're in the entertainment business and they live in Los Angeles. They know what drunk looks and feels and sounds like. Talison, Talison and yep. Ashley are child actors. They know what drunk looks and feels like. <laughs> <laughs> From many perspectives. <laughs> Ah, and the dark side of Hollywood rears its head again. Yep. <clears throat> People don't let your children grow up to be child actors. I'm just all I'm saying. <laughs> ah. I mean, if you really... No, no, no. You just don't. Just, yeah, um, don't do it. Just don't do it. Otherwise, otherwise, you end up on, you end up on, on, on one of my favorite podcasts being talked about as a cautionary tale. <laughs> there are some there are some child actors who are okay and well adjusted. Yes, absolutely. They are a small percentage of child actors. 
I mean, they're the ones who, you know, like, like Talitzen at some point early on said, fuck it, I'm out. Yeah. <sighs> Moving on again. <laughs> Continuing on briskly to Gilmore, who appears in the bar. Uh, uh, Gilmore, whom I, we've seen before. I believe we've seen before. I can't remember when Gilmore is first introduced. Oh, uh, like way the fuck way back early, before way early. Like, yeah. Like right like when they get back from... Yep. I know we go to Gilmore's Glorious right. Goods, but I don't remember if Gilmore is there. Yeah, he wasn't there the first time, Not the very first right time. away. Right, uh, but like no, he we meet Gilmore later as soon yeah. as they return from the Underdark, more or less. Yeah, I just I'm just trying to remember if he, the character, has been notified, has been like like the the audience, not the players, but the audience has known. Have, have I am ninety nine percent sure. Hold on just one moment. I feel like we have, but I can't remember. And we're only on episode 38. <laughs> uh, first appearance. Well, yeah. Episode 15 Skyward. Okay. Okay. Yep. So we have, we have, we have, or no, no, sorry. Shopping and shipping. We have, we have met, yeah, we have actually met him. Okay. Yep. Yep. Uh, but yeah. So Gilmore shows up and they have a good time and they have a party with Gilmore and then Vax lets him down. Uh, because... So, previously it's been established that Gilmore likes Vax, in a romantic sense. And Vax yep. was flirty and reciprocal, um, but has since discovered his true feelings for another. And as such, being the gentleman thief that he is, uh, pulled Gilmore away and had a conversation with him about, you know, hey, you know... This is fun. I really like you. I really respect you. But I can't return the feelings that you have for me to you, and I need to let you know now. Which is the responsible thing to do. It is. As long as you do it the right way. And I don't think this was poorly done. No, not at all. And huh. one thing that I really, really appreciated here was it did, it did something that that um far far too many <clears throat> shows and, and and stories have not done which is turn it into a turn it into a queer baiting situation mm -hmm. it's not you know okay they tease us for so long and then nope he was straight the whole time like it doesn't it's done in a way that doesn't discount Vax's sexuality yeah, no. uh, and queerness. He makes, um, it, he makes it very clear that it's, it's not that he doesn't like guys, it's that he is right. in love with someone else. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. um, which is, not, like I said, far, far too many shows. And, but, but, I mean, let's be honest, narratives, period. Um, uh, uh, tend to have this thing of okay the you know the, the, this character was bi and then they end up in a committed relationship with one one particular person and then you know their sexuality is never mentioned again 
and if they end up with another person, it usually ends up being along those same lo- the, those same uh, uh, sexuality lines. Which, for all the shit I give the show for using a bi character as a stereotype, House MD actually did that fairly well mm-hmm. because every time uh, Hunter got into a relationship like she went back and forth between dating guys and dating girls and while house would always use it as a jab as a as a sarcastic jab it they they never went back on that as a statement like they never downplayed the fact that she was bi regardless of who she was dating at the time right Mm um like as much as they've done, as much as they did every other shitty thing you can do to a queer character in that show, they didn't do that. <laughs> yep. So, so there's that. Um. But yeah. Uh. Yeah. So this is this is where this is also where Vax becomes the bi icon of Critical Role. So, huzzah for that icon! Pink and purple flags flying. Um, yep. So they, they, they leave Gilmore, Gilmore treats them to food and uh, picks up their tab and they drink a lot and eat a lot and then head home. When they head home, they're immediately belligerent with their guards. <laughs> As is apparently a common event. Uh, because their guards have let some people into the house. And they said, how dare you let people in the house? We told you not to. And to which they respond, they said you said they, said you said they could. To which they respond, who is it? To which they respond, Dr. Dranzel. And with, at which point Scanlan goes, oh yeah, no, I said they could come over. So we get apologies to the guards and they go inside uh, to find Dr. Dransel and his wandering troop of musicians from the last episode loitering and eating and drinking their food and drink. Uh, they talk a bit more about the proposal that they proffered previously uh, for stealing all the riches and valuables out of a out of a rich man's house. Uh, and and go a little bit more into detail. Uh, exp- and uh, at this point, the the crew does confirm that the house that they're at being asked to rob belonged previously to General Krieg, uh, which is a character that the party dealt with before the show ever went live. Um, who was a dragon, a blue dragon posing as a as a high ranking official in Amon, um, yep. whom they discover, who they found out and killed. Um, and while they were in, in my opinion, is not the cleverest blue dragon. Sorry, what was that? My, my, my headphones skipped and I couldn't hear what you said. I said, in my opinion, not the cleverest blue dragon. Because in universe, if you speak even a lick of Zemnian and someone comes out and says, uh, yes, my name's a general, uh, war. That's suspicious. Right. Give me This is a dumbass of a blue dragon. I'm sorry. If you guys could if you guys could <laughs> uh vamp for a second, I need to fix my headphones. <laughs> I can't hear. Sorry, that's the first thing I ever noticed about General Krieg. The microphone just got super louder. Oh, well that's hmm, interesting. Yay, tech. Uh what okay. were we t- talking about? Oh, yes. Oh, no. Dumb blue and, dragons and, that are now uh, dead. Yes. 
Uh, and the dragon's name, by the way, just for just for accuracy's purposes here and, and referential purposes, was Brimside. Um, yes. Because that's I would say, and I'd say that's a fairly consistent uh, tradition in in a lot of sort of D and D based fantasy settings where. Dragons have inherent shape-shifting abilities. You know, you have the dragon, and then the dragon wanders around as something humanoid in order to mm-hmm. garner less attention, and generally goes by, frequently, if not generally, but frequently goes by a different name, and frequently is trying to keep their true identity as a dragon either separate and or secret. Mm. Okay, yeah, no, I can absolutely. hear you now. <laughs> cool. Um, oh, good. Absolutely, and it's... <sighs> It's an interesting trope that has never been. I I don't think it's been ex, it's been it's been sort of explained at varying levels of accuracy depending on the setting. Um, whether it's it, it's generally in a well. If a dragon shows up to a bunch of people as a dragon, it's really hard for him to manipulate them. If he shows up as a person, then a then you're it, a little less on your guard. <laughs> yeah, right. it's always it's always a fun one though because it sets up a you know the first time that you the, that it happens in a setting. After that point, it's it's the changeling situation. It's the everybody's a dragon. Yeah, who the fuck is a dragon this time? Who is secretly manipulating the situation? The paranoia is a lot of fun. Um. And yeah, the 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 fan speculation and certainly happened on Critical Role. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah, I mean, if you show up as a you know seventy-story tall, several thousand pounds of dragon, people have an opinion, and first impressions are important. <laughs> I'm really concerned about 140 feet long dragons. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that 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 that's longer than. Uh, I don't your garden cannon. variety ancient dragon. Uh, actually, let's 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 have a look. So I can have a. If we are not if if we are not including um. What's his fucking name from the High Forest? Because that shit don't count. He is Super Dragon. Oh, uh, Old Snarl. Yes. Uh, he he has a name and it starts with K, and it's it's escaping me at the moment. Um, Clouth. Uh, Clouth. Yes. Like he doesn't count. He's like seventy miles long or something ridiculous. I, I'm exaggerating, but. He he's super huge, and he's expected to be super huge because he is he is the dragoniest dragon that ever dragon. He's the oldest dragon, and the yep. most powerful. He is a non-dragonlance dragon that makes dragonlance dragons look piddly by comparison. Yeah, I I have no actual basis on which to measure dragons by. That was just the numbers that seemed appropriately large that popped into my head. <laughs> I always think of them as like 60 feet, 60, 80 feet long. I don't know. I'm bad at scale. So six stories. Either way, bigger than a building. I mean, a story's about 20 feet. So like three stories, three, four. Anyways. 
bigger this than a building. <laughs> this is the riveting portion of critical thinking where we talk about how many how many story how many feet in a story, how many dragons in a story. How many and not the cool kind of how many dragons in a story. Um <laughs> how many how many civilizations can your dragon eat? <laughs> um that's a children's book waiting to happen. Now I think about it. That is not a children's book. People make some fucked up children's book, okay? I was going to say, that's exactly the sort of book that I would want my child to be reading. I have a... I, I, to, to, to veer off slightly, I have a book written by... Um, veer off slightly as if we don't do that. I have a... That's I ha- not our gimmick. I have a book written by What's-His-Face. Um, God damn it. What's oh, What's-His-Face. Yeah, of course. Um... Ah, it's right over there. I can see it, but I can't see the author name. Anyways, I have a I have a children a series of children's book written by a fa- written by a, a, ver- a fairly public and well known author who's British and writes has written some Doctor Who episodes before. And I can't think of his name. Neil Gaiman. Yes, Neil Gaiman. Thank you. Uh, oh, okay. I have I have a couple of I have a couple of children's books written from written by a Neil Gaiman about a child panda who, when he sneezes, permanently yes! al- permanently Tuesday. yeah permanently alters Two is the best permanently alters the fabric of reality in a localized area around him. Okay? Dragons eating a civilization is exactly the sort of thing that, that people write children's books about. Uh, okay. Literally. I'm, he- gonna, I'm going to do my goddamn best not to go off on, uh, on, on an in-depth explanation of Neil Gaiman's children's stories <laughs> and how they are not really children's stories. And some so, of them are. If any of them I mean, have some to... of them absolutely are. Then you've got fucking Coraline. Don't get me wrong. I Coraline I is love... totally a kid's book. <laughs> I love these books passionately. But Coraline and the Graveyard Book, and which, I don't know, maybe I am just not the best judge of what kids should be reading or 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 watching or the like but that shit is what i would have been reading as a kid and i should was reading shit that people shouldn't be reading as kids oh no see here's the thing with Coraline though of the people that i have met who have read that book 90% of them have loved it mm mm-hmm. mhm it is only the people who first read it as adults, however, that were terrified by it. I've never met a kid who thought it was more than, yeah, there were some scary parts. Interesting. Generally, with that sort of intonation, not in the I'm trying to be cool or I'm downplaying this sort of way. They focus, most of the kids that I have talked to that have read that book focus more on kind of like the weirdy, symbolic-y, you know, the neighbors in the house and stuff like that and what they look like uh, in the other mother's place, you know. It's the adults who are like, that fucking hand is the most terrifying concept that I could even think of or imagine. And after I read the book, I slept with the lights on for three nights in a row. 
none of the kids reacted that way. Yeah, no, kids, kids, kid, children look at books very differently from how adults look at books, which is why <laughs> the little panda who sneezes and uh, alters the fabric of reality around him only bothers me and not my son, who just right. goes along with it whenever he's reading and does the ah, 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 chew parts himself, okay? <laughs> <laughs> what on earth were we talking about? Dragons. Right. Dragons. We were talking about... Oh, yeah! How about Creed? Brimstein. Wow, we have outdone Brimstein. ourselves. <laughs> we almost forgot where we were. <laughs> I didn't. You guys did. <laughs> there was a very noticeable pause. <laughs> I'm just gonna leave it. I'm gonna blame that on comedic timing. Anyways. Um, they're, they're discussing burgling General Krieg's house yes. with so Dr. Drenzel and company. They've determined that it was General Krieg's house, and Vax agrees to an 80-20 split of the rewards if they do this for them. They shake. Then after shaking and agreeing to do it, that's when bickering about actually doing it comes in. Because At which point, my writer's brain is going, heist, 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 yes. yes. <laughs> heist, hei- heist stories are best stories. Um, so they... Well, that's not true. Con, con job stories are best stories. Heist stories are second best. Yes. Speaking of con jobs, mm-hmm. um, after finishing talking about uh, do it, whether or not they're going to do the deed, which they determined they're going to do, um, alliteration. Uh, Scanlan invites Kaylee, the gnome, uh, the 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 gnome flautist, uh, up to his room. Uh, after which Vex immediately offers her a different room, and Grog jumps on her for cock blocking in the keep, which was my favorite interaction of the entire episode. <laughs> 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 just her going I don't know, we can find another room for you if you want and Grog going are you really doing this right now are you really cock blocking in the keep like Travis was offended yeah. Travis the player Personally. was offended that his wife was doing this <laughs> which I love I absolutely love when players get so into character that you can tell when they've dropped character. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and that was one it's of them. Brilliant. That was absolutely one of them. It's the best interaction of the entire episode for me at least. Um but the group retires for the night. Scanlan going up to his room and Kaylee joining him. Uh where they have a conversation. Uh. In which in which it is revealed that Kaylee is not an ordinary gnome, but is in fact she's a dragon. Scanlan's daughter. Oh, dun, that right. Dun, yeah. dun. Wah, wah. Which is amazing in a sense because oh, yes, when yes. when it's 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 brilliant to watch because there's there's a there's a fantastic art form of letting players establish patterns and then forcing them to suddenly subvert them by allowing them to proceed. It's, it's the perfect trope of just enough rope to hang yourself. 
Yep. Um, yeah, and it's done extraordinarily well in this with a very slow reveal where the audience realizes it probably half a step before even the player does. But you, and yeah, it's it's, it's also, beautiful to watch. Also, if you go back and watch this particular scene, I want you to pay careful attention to Sam's face as he comes to the realization. <laughs> I think the realization happened Sam audience Scanlan. I think is how it actually went. Because there was a point where Sam started reacting, at which point I recall me reacting afterwards, Scanlan reacted. Um, and it's a brilliant series of events, and Sam makes a wonderful series of faces as he zips pants back up, puts belt back on, <laughs> and uh, is threatened to be killed by his daughter, whom he didn't know he had, and struggles to remember her mother. <laughs> um, Scanlan is confronted with the scoundrel-like life that he has led up to this point uh, by being confronted by the literal, physical repercussions of his scoundrel-like life that he has led up to this point. Uh, and he doesn't deny any of it. He accepts it. He, uh, he attempts to apologize um, and, and attempts to explain that he is doing his best to change, at which point Kaylee reminds him that he almost invited his daughter to sleep with him, uh, which prompted another great Sam face, let me tell you. Because Sam has a daughter. Uh -huh. <laughs> yep. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, uh, and at which point Scanlan said, look, if you want to kill me, if that'll make you feel better, I am not going to resist. Here, stab me to death. Uh, which was a really nice character moment. Uh, so, I'm curious what, what you guys think. If he had, do you think he would have just stood there? Yes. No. I'm with Jack. I think he would have. Why? So why okay. do you think not? Okay. Here's he, slight qualifier. He would have let her stab him once. He would not have let her kill him. Because I don't think, here's why I don't think so. I don't think, I'm not saying that, you know, a, a character turnaround isn't potentially on the table for Scanlan at this point. I'm saying Scanlan is not there yet. And I think that knowing the way that the character and and all of the characters, but 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 Scanlan in particular, has been played, I think that would have been, if it had gotten to that point, that would have been too drastic of a character turn for Sam uh, for Sam. Because that character has always moved in uh, very realistically in in uh, small character uh, development and twists and changes, and so sure that realization was one thing, and it definitely is something 
that sets a particular stage potentially going forward. But at his core, he's still Scanlan. And the Scanlan that we know at this point would be looking at the, looking at this as a con. I can talk this person into I can talk this person into get, getting them on my side, perhaps for a, for for a, for a you know because for altruistic reasons or I wouldn't say altruistic, but at least um, uh, uh, positively aligned reasons. Oh, this is my daughter. This is somebody I want to get to know all of a sudden. But I don't think it would have been realistic for him to suddenly go, yep, I am perfectly willing to die here in this moment. Jack? I believe that even at this point, Scanlon still has a very... Selfish outlook. Yep. Not necessarily a hundred percent look out for number one, but even in this, I mean, granted, her story appears to check out, but Scanlan is a no stranger to a con because he's run a number of them himself and I guarantee that going through his mind at this point would be, is this a play? Is this someone trying to get an edge or a string on me to manipulate me at some point? And I believe that Scanlan is not the sort of individual who has collected the various number of experiences required to when even if you believe the person 100% when confronted by someone who says, I am your child, immediately goes into full dad mode. That takes time. Nobody's psyche goes there immediately. Especially somebody like Scanlan, who it's been established, had little to no relationship with his father and lost his mother under very traumatic circumstances, probably has no clue what it even means to be in within a country mile of a parental figure to someone especially given the the lifestyle and and conduct he's exhibited both by report and backstory over the previous years and from what we've seen displayed so far in the narrative so yeah i'd I'm with Jeremy. I don't I don't think he's remotely there yet to let someone kill him. Even yeah. if he does believe they're his daughter. So, uh for me with Scanlan, I I feel like he would have well, both of you have raised incredibly good points, but I feel like he would have let it happen for a couple of reasons. The primary one, I think Sam the actor was just stunned at that moment and didn't really wasn't really able to interpret it correctly um and believed 100% that that was his character's daughter and as such would have just let it happen i don't think he would i i like narratively if i were writing this like if i were if i were writing this yes th that wouldn't make sense for that character right then 
But from a player perspective, I think Sam would have just let it happen. I think he was too stunned to really do much else at the moment. Um, and, and outside of that, I think that would have been a very appropriately dramatic and shocking death. Sam does things for for one of three reasons. He's he's shown that he he has he has sort of three typical like motivations for things. One, good storytelling. Mm -hmm. Two, it's funny. Three, it's shocking. And I feel like this this would have fallen into that third of those three categories. Um, and so while maybe he wasn't as shocked as he seemed like he was, but he seemed genuinely shocked. Um, it would have still fallen into like if Scalen just suddenly dies to his daughter that appeared out of nowhere uh, for the first time in his life, that would have been a shocking conclusion to that character. You're not wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, that that's that that's why I think he would have let it let it happen. Yeah, and it would have. Going for the going for the shock value, yeah, no, I can see that. Mm. It would have also set up a very interesting. I still narrative. don't think he would have, but that's a, and that's fair. It would also have set up a very interesting narrative beat for the rest of the party. Like, hey, you wake up, mm -hmm. you wake up the next morning, and Scanlan's been stabbed to death in his room. <clears throat> what you doing? You know. Yep. So. Mm -hmm. But as it stands, Scanlan does not get stabbed. Well, he gets stabbed a little bit. But Matt rolls a natural one. And so... And so, uh... Kaylee's <laughs> blade goes wide. My daughter spitting out snot, right? Um, Kaylee's blade goes wide. Well, it doesn't go wide. She sort of stumbles and, and doesn't have the heart to stab him. Uh, and it sort of drops her sword and just hugs him and cries for a bit. They have a lovely bonding moment and she leaves leaving him behind what do you guys think about the surprise i'm your daughter storytelling angle um or surprise i'm your child one I feel like it is one you kind of have to be careful with. I come to this, as anybody who's listened to these knows, as a, 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 a heavy consumer of media in general, but relevant to this situation, um, genre storytelling and comic books. Comic books in particular do a have a tendency to make family relations can substitute for character development or not substitute for character development but substitute for narrative impact um so when it's done it, it it's <clears throat> horrifically overdone in comic um but that also makes the times that it really works stand out. I think the classic example of one of the times that it, I think it's a little controversial in this respect, but to me, it's so very well done, especially considering that 
if you if you're familiar with with sort of how this arc played out and the behind the scenes of it this they just sort it's one of the classic retcons and that this was not the intended sequence but the uh in x-men uh cable turning out to be uh, uh, uh cyclops and madeline Pryor's child who had come back from the future that was one of the times where it was done so beautifully well um and 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 and, and came together really well that i think it stands out among the many many examples many within the summers family in particular that didn't work had a max um <laughs> if you ever want to laugh look up adam x just google it just read that story look at the character and 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 yeah um but when it's done well like the cable situation and like this situation it works really really well in this case it works very well in terms of of how it affects Scanlan as a character, how it affects Kaylee as a character, um, because this shouldn't be something that that where you establish it only to to affect your main character. That's that's just a that's just a substitution for 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 fridging in a way. Um, it's just another trope that's very similar to that. It's the way that it affects those characters and how, as Jack had said earlier, it subverts sort of how Scanlan's been behaving this entire run so far and sets both of those characters on very interesting story arc. Um, so for me, it worked really well. Yeah. Um, and whenever, whenever I think of you're the, you know, I'm your child uh, storytelling, I always think of wrestling, the home. Oh God! Of the oh, worst. God. Oh God! Absolute oh. worst examples of the. Fuck. Um, I I agree. It can be done well. I, sort of the the opposite, the more famous opposite version of this is Luke. I am your father. Of course. Yeah. Um, but in wrestling, they had. Like May Young gave birth to a hand. I mean, yeah, wasn't it? But, yeah, it was but, Young. more specific, I think probably <laughs> would be the uh, Hornswoggle. Yeah, Hornswoggle as the the as the illegitimate son of Vince McMahon. Well, and more recently, um, uh, what's his name as the illegitimate uh, uh, son? Clark, uh, Chad, Ga- uh, uh, not Chad Gable, but the other one, Jordan. The other one, Jordan, Jordan Jones, or or. Jordan, uh, Jason Jordan. Jason Jordan. Uh, Jason Jordan as the illegitimate son of, uh, Kurt, of Angle. Kurt Angle. I, I think I don't think I don't think wrestling has ever done it well. In fact, I mean, uh, I feel bad about that particular storyline because it had a lot of potential and it wasn't going poorly. It wasn't doing a lot for Jordan, but it wasn't going poorly, and you could see that they still had plans for it. And then Jordan got injured, and he still hasn't come back. Um, but, but, but yeah, generally wrestling, no surprise when wrestling 
gets to particular particular uh, uh, tropes and storytelling devices that require subtlety. Unless you get one of those rare individuals like a Raven or a CM Punk or or someone like that. Yeah, it's usually not turning out well. Jack? The thing with the whole, I'm your father, I'm your daughter, I'm your adult, I'm your child, whatever, is that... It's very, it's been done so much that it's very difficult to find a good creative way to incorporate it in, in a method or in a, in a means that doesn't feel hackneyed or contrived to an audience that has even a a modicum of genre savvy to their experience, you know, um, people who have never watched a single soap opera in their life know that the genre is chock full of this and when you are playing with a trope that is on the verge if not frequently already a cliche you have to you have to be very careful and sparing and unique in your application if you're not just going to get a sort of collective groan from your audience it's easier to do in situations like this where the audience is already fairly heavily invested in the characters um, to, an, to, to an extent where having something like this happen is seen as a multi-layered occurrence. Because you've got the layer of... Scanlan tries to seduce somebody, and it turns out that's not what they're interested in. There's one layer there. Scanlan tries to seduce somebody, and it turns out they are exactly not the sort of person that he should even be trying to seduce in the first place. Second layer there. Scanlan tries to seduce somebody, and it turns out the person is the product of a previous seduction that he had concluded third layer and when you pile all those on top of each other it's much more impactful than if this had been done in sort of a more throwaway casual hi scanlan here's a gnome and she just sort of springs it on you that she's his daughter the slow burn in this case the gradual reveal i think is what makes this effective when it could very easily have fallen flat Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, yeah. Take your time with it. Make it count. Make it count at least three times more than once, and you'll be good. Yep. So the next day, they all reconvene downstairs. Uh, Vex, 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 not Vex. Vex goes out to the guard. Actually, I think Vex does this before the. No, no, no. It was the next day. Vex goes out to the guard to see if they've received a message. And they have. Turns out they received a package overnight. Uh, or, or earlier, a previous night, actually. Um, they received a package. He passed it off to their... He passed it off to their butler. More abuse of their own employees ensues. Uh, and it is revealed that the butler passed it off to Dr. Dranzel. 
uh, who had conveniently forgotten to mention this fact. Uh, they eventually receive this box. Um, I don't remember what's in it. Actually, no, I don't think they receive it. I think they're going, I think they go to get it, but then they leave before they actually acquire it. I feel like maybe, maybe not. I'll double check. I don't actually remember what's in the box. Do either of you? What's in the box? No. Nope. Take that as a no. I'm I not, didn't even remember the I, box. I, there is a box. They get it. It's a wooden box. I don't remember what's in it or if they even opened it yet. But there is a box and it exists. We'll, fa we'll come back to that probably next week uh, when I go back and determine what was in the box and if or when they opened it. Um, but yeah, so there, there's a box. There's something in it. Not sure what. But they eventually uh, they eventually take off and head to the Cloudtop District to go investigate General Manor. Upon arrival, after dra after convincing a reluctant Keyleth to come along with this plan, uh, the group pauses for a minute to have some well-intentioned discussion about how they should approach this. If they're just going to break in, if they're going to tell the guard that, hey, you know, weird shit's been happening around this house, we've dealt with this before, we're going to go in again and take a look, or if they'll deal with that when it comes. While they're having this discussion, Grog jumps the fence, walks over the door, and knocks on it. Because Grog has very little patience for planning. Because sometimes you just have to take matters into your own hands and act. That's what Grog does. Takes matters into his own hands and acts. Constantly. Um, Grog knocks on the door, no one answers. They've previously been told that the current owners of the building have left the country. Um, so they go in and investigate. Inside this abandoned Scooby-Doo house, uh, they discover a couple of different things, one of which is a skull with a gem in it that seems to have some sort of living entity in it that they very quickly recognize as probably not a good idea, cover back up and put away. Um, <laughs> because after having dealt with lots of evil artifacts, the party is a bit wary of them now. Ignoring the sword that Grog is currently wielding still. Um... Eventually they go down, and I believe they find a portal in the basement. No, they find a statue in the basement. In the basement they find a statue. It is a statue of what they assume to be the, the, uh, the, previous, the, the current owner of the building. Uh, and upon finding that the current owner of the building has been petrified, they decide to go investigate Krieg's old lair, which they know how to get to from this building. Uh, they go into Krieg's old lair and find that it is currently inhabited by a giant purple worm, which is where the episode ends off. Uh, just before they get into a fight with a purple worm. So that we all have something exciting to look forward to when we come back. Yes. Yep. Basically. Um, but yeah, so they, they, the, 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 the plot thread that previously seemed fairly uh, innocuous of breaking into this old guy's house to steal all his riches. Turns out the old guy was General Krieg. The house is apparently haunted by something, and when they got there, they found the current owner petrified and a worm basement. Fun. Fun times. Wee! Fun. You're a general? 
What was that? Nothing. Hamilton jokes. Mm. Oh. Well then, in that case, is there anything we want to add add in before we uh, head out for the day? I like the concept of a heist where ultimately the heist is a link to the actual plot. The whole trope of, oh, you stole something. Well, guess what? It was more than you thought. Mm -hmm. I've always loved that. Yeah. Yeah, and I... A good, I, solid episode. I do enjoy when a heist turns out not to be as straightforward as it seems, which, as all heists really do, but... Yeah, the best ones are. Yeah. Well, it's good that we're going to stop here, because my daughter has decided she's had enough of me recording podcasts, as some of you might hear her in the background. Uh, <laughs> say hello, Beatrice. Beatrice says hello. Um, uh, so yeah, that's been us. Uh, this has been episode 38 of Critical Role. Episode 39 of Critical Thinking. 39. Next, 39 of Critical Thinking. 38 of Critical Role. Yes. Next week will be episode 39 of Critical Role. Uh, what can somebody and find the title for it. me because I can't find it right now. The title is Shit Gets Real. That's not the title, but that's what happened. <laughs> the title is The Real Heist Was the Friends We Made Along the Way. <laughs> the title um, is I Only Have One Hand and Can't Google Search You Assholes. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I described the, uh, the title better than anything could have been. It's Omen. Omens, thank you. But no, the title is Shit Gets Real. Alright, well, uh, we'll see you guys next time. Until then, I've been John. And I've been Jack. And I'm Jeremy. And eventually we'll get smoother on that exit. Say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs> goodbye, everybody. <laughs> goodbye.